Hey, Menlo Church, I'm so grateful to be here sharing with you today. My name is Matt. I'm Central Ministry Leader for Student Ministries here at Menlo, and I'm, I'm so glad that you're joining us today as we continue this series called Hope Has a Name. And truthfully, there's no better day for us to talk about hope than a day where we get to talk about the next generation, where we get to talk about young people. One of my favorite quotes from our senior pastor, John, is this. He says, God irrationally loves young people, so much so that he mass produces them. Every time a new life comes into the world, it's as if God is saying, there's hope for us. There's hope for our world. There's hope for the future. Now, while God may mass produce young people, my wife and I, we have just two. Here's a picture of our family. This is my wife, Lisa. She works on staff here at Menlo. You may recognize her. She's amazing. And then this little guy, this is Joshua. He's four months old. Uh, he, he's a baby. He does all the things you would think that a baby would do. He poops. He spits up. We have to change his outfit like 10 times a day. We have to change our outfits like 10 times a day. But he smiles. He rolls over. We love him so much. And this little one, this one right here, this is Lucy. She's my oldest. She is absolutely amazing. She's almost three years old, uh, but she's also absolutely exhausting. Like I walk around tired all the time. Maybe you have an infant at home or a toddler or a roommate or a family member that has been exhausting you during the quarantine season. Go ahead and put your best hashtag in the comments so we can commiserate with one another together. But I want to tell you a story about Lucy. This was a couple months ago. Nana and Peepaw were in town. They were helping us out. Joshua was like one month old and Joshua was asleep. It was amazing. Thank God. And Lucy was finishing up the tail end of a show. It was Daniel the Tiger or Sophia the Princess, something like that. And we were all about to sit down to dinner together. Now, usually Lucy sits down at the table with us and we eat dinner. But today, this day, I, you know, there was this sweet moment that occurs when your infant is asleep and your toddler is distracted and there's this silence that happens. And so the adults around the table were just wanting to enjoy that silence together over a meal. So here we are at the table, Lucy's on the couch, kind of in the margins, watching her show. And so we start to eat. And then in this one moment, Lucy kind of realizes what's going on. And so she changes her gaze from the TV over to the four adults. And then she delivers this line. She says this, why don't you have a spot for me? She actually says, why you don't have a spot for me? But we're still working on the grammar piece of that. And so I'm telling you, this statement hit all four adults like a ton of bricks. Our hearts shattered and melted just at the thought that she thought we forgot about her, that we didn't have a spot for her. And so I looked right at Lucy and I said this. I said, Lucy, baby, baby, this is your mommy's fault. It was her idea. She did this to you. I actually didn't say that. I said, baby, baby, listen, we do have a spot for you, okay? We do have a spot. And I cleared the plates and, and I pushed people out of the way and I grabbed a chair and I put it at the table and I went and got Lucy and I sat her down with us because I wanted her to know that she had a spot at the table with us. And then we continued dinner and then the rest of the night and went as well as it could go with two kids under three. But I tell you this story because this is Student Sunday. This is a Sunday where we're linking hope and future with the next generation. And I tell you that because if I could boil down to you what young people in America are saying to the church, if I could boil it down in one phrase, if I could boil it down to one question, it would be this. Why don't you have a spot for me? 
why don't you have a spot for me? You see, that's what young people are saying to the church today. And it's interesting because we believe and we know that the church is the most hope-giving community that has ever existed. We have this hope that's an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Hope has a name. That name is Jesus. We believe that. We build our lives on that. We should be desperately seeking to see students flock to the church. They should be pushing us over to get into the church. We should be bending over backwards to see them involved and alive in the church because we have this hope that's firm and secure, that's an anchor for our soul. We should do whatever it takes so that students can experience this hope with us. But they're not experiencing it. They're not flocking to the church. In fact, they're running away from the church. They're going the opposite direction. A research study uh, suggests that 22% of high school seniors have never attended a church service. And then there's another study at a Fuller Youth Institute that says of students who grow up in the church, of students who graduate from youth group and go to college, 50% of them walk away from their faith in the first three years of college. So you got 22% of high school seniors who, who never go to church, and then you've got half of the ones who do walk away from their faith when they go to college. And then get this. This is the one that gets me. There's another study. It's called The Great Opportunity. And it takes this data and it extends it out through the year 2050. And it says if trends stay the same, if nothing changes, then 35 million young people will walk away from their faith over the next 30 years. That's one million young people every year will disaffiliate from their faith. They're not flocking to the church. They're going the other way. And here's what this does to me. And here's what I know that this does to you because I know you have young people in your life you love. I know that you have young people in your life that you've raised. I know that you might be a young person. I know that we all were young people at one time. This breaks my heart. And this should break your heart. And I know it breaks your heart. It breaks our heart that young people are walking away from the faith because we have this hope that's an anchor for the soul. And young people are crying out for hope, for something firm and secure to stand on, and they're not finding it in the church. They're looking for something. They're searching for a hope. They're crying out. And the reason this should really matter to us is because when there is a group of people crying out, it gets God's attention. God has a heart for that. God has a heart for when a generation, a group of people cry out to him. We see this all throughout scripture. We see it in the whole Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. But one place we see it really clearly is this story in the book of Exodus. It's the story of God's people, the Israelites. And, and here's the deal. God's people, uh, they were slaves. They were in slavery. They were in bondage. And get this, this is funny. The reason they were in slavery to the Egyptians was that they were mass-producing young people. That's what the Bible tells us. There was so many Israelites that the Egyptians became nervous. And they said, we got to make this group of people slaves. And so uh, you've got God's people in slavery each and every day. And so what did God's people do? Here's what they did. It says, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. And it's like, yeah, that, 
That makes sense. When, when people are in slavery, when people are oppressed, when people are on the outside looking in, when people are on the couch and everyone else is at the table, they cry out. They cry out. They groan. We see that with the Israelites. We saw that with Lucy. You know what? We see that in our country today. Wherever you may stand, uh, there's a group of people crying out. There's a group of people oppressed, and they're crying out, and they're groaning. This is what happens. And then what does God do? Here's what God did. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God heard the cry of his people. God heard the cry of the oppressed people crying out to him. But not only did God hear the cry, God acted. Here's what he did. He goes to this guy named Moses, and he says this to Moses. He said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry. So he's telling Moses what's going on. And Moses is probably like, okay, yeah, God, you, you've got this people. I already kind of know about the situation, but you got this people. They're crying out to you. I get it. You should do something, God. You're God. You should make an impact. You should step into the situation. And then God says this to Moses. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses is like, no, no, wait. You were the one who was supposed to do something, God. You're God. You're the one who's supposed to intervene. I'm not part of that plan here. I, I can't do that. And God says, no, Moses, you are the plan. I'm going to work through you to rescue the people. Because this is how God works. Whenever there's a group of people crying out, God hears it. And then God raises up someone to answer the cry. I mean, think about this in your life. If you've been following God for any amount of time, maybe there's a time in your life that God showed up. Maybe there's a time in your life that God answered a prayer. And how did he do it? I bet he did it through someone else, through someone else's action. You see, when people cry out, God hears it. And then he raises up someone to answer that cry. And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to hear today. There's a generation crying out. There's a generation that's crying out for God, and they don't even know it. There's a book called iGen, and there's some research in that book that says that suicide rates among young people are up. Major depressive episodes and depression among young people are up. Loneliness and isolation among young people are up. Mental health crisis among young people are up. They're crying out for hope. They're crying out for God, and they don't even know it. There's a generation, a group of people crying out, and God has heard the cry. And God is calling churches all across America to answer the cry, to be hope bringers for the next generation, to step into the lives of some young people. And here's what I want to tell you today, Menlo. I'm so proud to be a part of a church like Menlo that cares for and loves and values the next generation because God is already doing that here. And many of you have already stood up to answer the call to step into the life of the next generation. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church like this because every week we've got hundreds of leaders and students who meet together uh, to share life with one another. You got young people, you got older people, and they're meeting together in the name of God to build each other up and to bring hope to one another. And you know what? They were doing that before quarantine, but now they're just doing that on Zoom calls. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. 
And every weekend when we were meeting in person services, we had students serving on the weekends, on the worship teams and the tech teams and on the greeting teams and everywhere in the church because younger people and older people were coming together to share life with one another and bring hope to each other. There are two leaders at the San Mateo campus and their names are Katie and Joanne. And Katie and Joanne have been leading a group of ninth grade girls since they were in sixth grade. So for four years, they've been pouring in and investing into these girls. And over this past year, both Katie and Joanne found out that they were pregnant. They're gonna have their first kid. And so what this group of girls did, these ninth grade girls who Katie and Joanne have been investing in for years, they decided that they wanted to celebrate their leaders as they were both coming up to this huge moment in their life. So on two separate occasions, during two different life groups, they threw parties for each of their leaders. And they celebrated and they had fun and they prayed together and it was an amazing time. And as I was talking with Joanne about this, she said it was such a good reminder that these are relationships that she wants to last a lifetime because she's been investing in these students and these students have been investing in her. Younger people, and older people coming together, the generations living life with one another. Everyone gets a little bit more hope when that happens. And then there's this other story of this leader named Pat. Now, Pat was kind of like Moses. He said, I'm not sure I'm the best guy to lead a group of students. I'm not sure that I'm gonna be able to have any impact or any effect on these students, but he said, I'm gonna sign up, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do my best. And so Pat faithfully served for a couple years. He led a group of boys. And when life took him in a different direction and he moved on to something else, it was his last night to serve. And I sat in a group with him where the boys went around a circle and they each said something they really appreciated about Pat. And they said things like, I was just so grateful to know that I had someone I could always talk to. I was so grateful to see you here every week when you would greet us with a smile and welcome us into life group. I'm so grateful to know I had someone to text anytime that I really needed something. And they just went around in their own words and said why they loved Pat and why they appreciated him and the impact that he had had on their lives. So a little later in the night, I was in a leader meeting, a bunch of leaders standing around a circle. And I asked Pat, can you tell us about that moment? What did that mean to you? And he started to get emotional and he said, listen, I never thought I had any impact on these students. I didn't think that, that anything I did mattered. And then he said something that will always stick with me. He said this, all I did was show up. All he did was show up and he had an impact because he decided to say, I'm gonna use what I have. I'm gonna leverage who I am on behalf of students. And we've got stories like this from every campus where leaders and students are meeting together and they're living life with one another and God is doing amazing things through your faithfulness as a church. But here's the deal. I wanna call us to more not because we're doing a bad job, but because 35 million will walk away from their faith over the next 30 years. And this breaks my heart and this breaks your heart. And so I wanna call us to more. If you've ever wondered what you should do at the end of a sermon, I'm about to tell you, it's gonna be crystal clear. It's gonna be so easy to do this, to do these two application points today. The first one is just for some of you. For some of you, you're feeling God call you to be a pat in the life of a student, to show up for a student. Maybe you're realizing that you had someone show up for you when you were in middle school, when you were in high school, and that made such a difference. Do you think it'd make a difference today if you stepped up and decided to show up in the life of a student? 
I mean, with quarantine, with COVID, with the state of our country right now, do you think students need some adults to walk alongside them through what's going on in our world? If you're feeling God tugging at your heart for that, we've got a link for you. We want you just to click that button and uh, we'll begin a conversation with you about what that could look like because you could change the life of a student and they could change your life. Now, here's the second thing I want to call us all to, and this is for everyone. If you're listening to this message today, this is for you. I want us all to join together and pray for students over the next seven days. And here's what I mean. There's a link on your screen right now that you can navigate to, and you can click that button, and we will send you the name of a student that's in our ministry. It's only going to be the first name, and you're going to get it immediately on your screen. And then we want you to pray for that student over the next seven days. And I just can imagine what God would do if all 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 of us joined together over these next seven days to pray for all the students in our ministry. What would God do? Do you think those prayers would make a difference in the life of that student? Do you think God would use your faithfulness to move in the hearts and the minds and the souls of a student? Because that name you get that you're looking at right now, that's a student with a life, with struggles, with a family situation, with positives and negative things going on in their life. And do you think if we rallied behind them and prayed together that God would do something amazing? I do. And I know you do too. And so I'm calling us all to pray for students over the next seven days. And I already know in advance that you're going to do this, and I'm so grateful. And so here's how we're going to do it. We're going to go ahead and do day one right now in this service. There's going to be a guided prayer that's going to pop up on the screen. And I want you just to pray along with that prayer for the student that you picked or that got picked for you. Pray that prayer for that student. And then over the next six days, make sure you follow us on Instagram. We're going to be posting guided prayer prompts for you to pray over that student. And as we do, uh, young people, old people coming together in the name of God, to cheer one another on, to pray for one another. Can you imagine what God would do? Let's pray together.